Make some noise if you're excited to be in church today. I am um, so pumped to be here. If you're new, I just want to welcome you. My name is Joey McLaughlin, and my wife Kayla and I, uh, we've been dreaming about Elevate City Church for longer than we can remember, and um, we're just so honored that we get to do this, that we get to do this together. We never think on a Sunday morning, oh, we got to get up and we got to go to church. We think we get to do this. We get to be a part of something that matters with people's lives who are being transformed. And so I'm just honored that you're here, honored that you check it out, honored that you would um, come and experience this community that God is growing and expanding. And um, if you are new, you picked a great day to be in church because today we start a brand new collection of talks titled End the Epidemic, End the Epidemic. And I'm sure you got a million questions about what epidemic we're ending this time. But um, before we get there, I've got a few quick announcements. Um, so when we set out to start Elevate City in the middle of a pandemic just 15 weeks ago, we uh, like we had some optimism. I mean, we're people of faith. We had some pretty big expectations. But if I'm being honest, we had a couple of doubts too, okay? Um, I mean, starting a church in a pandemic isn't necessarily the wisest thing. I had a lot of people tell me that I was crazy. I told a lot of those people they were probably right. Um, but it takes a little crazy to do something special, Amen. And um, that's what we wanted to do. And truth be told, we've been absolutely mind blown by all that God has done in just 15 weeks at Elevate City. I mean, we had three services at Christmas, people. We started another service after the new year. We've seen people get baptized, people meet Jesus, people's destinies change. We've seen people fall in love and find their tribe and find their place. Um, and it's been crazy to see everything that God's done at Elevate City. And I'm here to tell you today that the story is about to get a little bit crazier because of all of that growth, because of all of the people that have come after just 15 weeks, Elevate City Church is moving venues. We're moving, guys. We're expanding. God is doing something in this place. We're moving from the movie theaters to the Marriott, okay? We're moving from church at the movies, from church at the movie theater to church at a hotel. We're just going to be that green and eggs and ham kind of church. We're, we'll just go anywhere, you know, church on a plane, church on a train, church in a car, church at a bar. Hello. Um, We'll go anywhere to reach people for Jesus. Can I get an amen? And um, I'm pumped about the Marriott for a couple of reasons. The team and I, we've been praying about a new location for a while now. And um, we landed on the Marriott first and foremost because it's going to give us an opportunity to do Elevate City Online way better. We know that digital discipleship is the next great missional frontier. And for all of those of you who are watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. Bear with us. It'll just be a couple more weeks. Um, but we are limited in terms of what we can produce online in terms of camera angles and lighting and sound. And things are going to get instantaneously better when we move to the Marriott. So we're coming for you, Elevate City Online. Stay, hold on, it's going to be epic. Um, but there's, there's other reasons too. Another reason is because of our kids' space. If you've seen, you know, our kids are shoved in a movie theater, and it's been fun, it's been cool, but kids are crazy, okay? And um, they want to run around and have fun, and the rooms and the spaces that they're going to have at the Marriott, it's going to give kids an opportunity to just play and encounter Jesus, and for us to be able to continue to shatter the stereotype that church is supposed to be boring, amen? For your kids to love coming to church, for them to look 
look forward to and have the space that they need to be able to connect with their friends and worship God. And then additionally, what um, moving to the Marriott's gonna allow us to do because of the size of the ballroom is it's gonna allow us to go back to one service all together at 10 a.m. Now, here's why this is really awesome, okay? We're all about growing, all about expanding services, but right now we've got a dream team of volunteers who are killing themselves. They get here at 6 a.m., they stay till 2.15 and that's a long day and moving to the Marriott will allow them to not have to get here at 6 a.m., but get here at 7 a.m. Hallelujah, an extra hour of sleep. Revival's gonna break out because of an extra hour of sleep, okay? And so our team's gonna be able to get here um, later. They don't, won't have to stay as long and we believe that we'll be back at service, two services someday. someday. Can I get an amen? But when we do, we're gonna have a whole lot more dreamers, a whole lot more people who own this vision, own this mission, and are using their gifts to see the kingdom of God advance. And so I cannot wait. We are going to be moving there on February the 7th. Let me hear you say February the 7th. Yeah, let's celebrate it too. So soon, so quick. It's right around the corner. And um, I'm here to tell you that if, you are, uh, if you're sitting in the room and you're like, okay, where is it? How far away is it? It's less than three miles away from where you're sitting right now. It's right behind our offices. It's super close. And it is going to set us up to be able to reach this city. And I'm just pumped. I'm so pumped and excited that God is doing so many cool things at our church. We got fight week coming up. Groups are launching. We're moving to the movie theater. And I just love that we have a God who is faithful, that Jesus is faithful to build his church. Anybody with me today that he's building it? Um, and now we got to pay for it. So we're going to take up our offering now. Did y'all like that segue? Real smooth segue. Um, we believe at Elevate City that generosity is golden, that we've been gifted to give, that freely we've received, and it is our joy to freely give. And if you have not gotten in on the joy of generosity yet, I encourage you to do so. When you give at Elevate City, you're giving so that a church can be planted in a pandemic. You're giving so that on January 31st, that people who've never known God, never followed Jesus, didn't have a relationship with him, can get in the baptism waters and declare that they're a new creation. You're giving so that the skeptic and the searching can find God, so that the lonely can find a place, so that the outcast can know that they are belong. You're giving to see a revival and a, and, and a revolution happen in this generation. And so for those of you who do give, I just want you to know I'm unbelievably grateful for your partnership with us, for your belief in this mission, in this vision. And um, a big favor of, for me to ask of you, if you haven't set, set up reoccurring giving yet, I'm gonna ask you to do that. You can do that in the Elevate City app or you can do it online, go in there. And if you'll just automate the most important gift that you'll give, it would mean the world to us. It'll allow us to be able to see and predict what's coming in so that we can make some aggressive moves to reach this city and to wake this generation up for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, who's ready for that word? Mini sermon over. Y'all ready for the word today? All right, let's pray real quick and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we love you. Amen. All right, let's go. Let's get started. Told y'all real quick prayer. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Today we do start a collection of talks titled End the Epidemic and the epidemic. This epidemic affects 100% of the population. Currently three out of five Americans say that they are right now today currently suffering from it. If you are touched or affected by this epidemic, you are 26% more likely to die. Researchers say that the effects of this epidemic is as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
Researchers say that this epidemic, the effects of this epidemic, that it heightens fear, increases stress, anxiety, timidity, and anger. It diminishes optimism and self-esteem. It causes misremembering, diminishes sleep quality, can cause difficulty breathing, and obsessive behavior. The epidemic that I'm talking about is not the coronavirus, it's the epidemic of loneliness. And although the pandemic has highlighted this epidemic, it is not the pandemic that brought it on, but it's contributed. We have been pushed further and further into isolation. Division in our country is at an all-time high. You're pushed to do work at home, to do school at home, to sleep at home. I guess you did that before the pandemic, but everything's at home pushed into isolation, not able to see people, not able to connect. I, uh, I was talking to a guy recently, we met him right outside of the offices where we work, and um, he said that his son was born in February, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and he said that the first time, you know, the, his family really had to hunker down because of some health issues, the first time that his son, his newborn son, saw anybody what, uh, outside of his nuclear family was Thanksgiving. Could you imagine that the first time your kid, he's born in February, first time he sees anybody is Thanksgiving. And so he said that when he takes his, his new son to see their extended family at Thanksgiving, his son walks in the door and he's thinking it's going to be this big, exciting moment, but his son just starts to cry. Because he's, and, and, and the dad realizes in that moment that he'd never seen people other than his own family members. And he was just so overstimulated, so overwhelmed that he just cried. And I get that every person's lived experience is different, but there are people who are really lonely out there. And COVID did not create this issue. COVID exposed this issue. It revealed how lonely we actually are in our society, that there is an epidemic of loneliness, an issue of isolation. You know that this is actually the first issue that God sees in creation. If you know the Jesus story and if you know the Genesis narrative, then you know that when God creates, he creates everything good. Our good God creates this world. And when he does, he creates it to be good. He creates the mountains and he goes, it's good. He creates the stars and he goes, it's good. He creates the duck-billed platypus and he goes, it's weird, but it's good. He creates man and he says, it's very good. But then he gets to Genesis 2, 18, and this is what he says. He looks at man and he goes, it's not good that the man should be alone. It's not good. God creates everything good, but good by itself isn't good enough. We were created for connection, hardwired for community. Our design is not to be distant. It's woven into the fabric of who we are as people. We are supposed to do life together. We were made for each other. Tailor made to do life together. Have you ever, um, have you ever gotten like a present or a gift, maybe at Christmas, and um, the batteries were supposed to be in it, but the batteries weren't in it? this happened to anybody before, that may be the most frustrating thing in the entire world. So um, this Christmas Eve, uh, we, you know, Christmas Eve is kind of a big day for preachers. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like the Super Bowl. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, it's like that in Easter. And so I'm pumped to preach at Christmas Eve. And me and Kayla, we come down and we talk to Raleigh and we're like, are you so excited for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas tomorrow? Do, do, do your parents ask your kids this on Christmas Eve? What do you want for Christmas tomorrow? And she goes, well, what I really want is I want the robot that Santa is going to bring me. That's what I'm most excited about. And I go, oh, really? What robot? And she was like, you know, the one that I put on my list, Santa knows about it. He's going to bring it. It's the thing that I want more than anything else. 
And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to send Santa an email, shoot him a text message, call him real quick, because we gotta make sure that this robot gets here. And so pull some strings with Santa Claus, miraculously work it so that this little girl can have this robot that we knew nothing about two days before that. And, um, and so then you get it on Christmas, right? And you're so excited to open it up and for her to be able to play with it. And guess what? No batteries. Batteries were not included. I'm here to tell you that when the creator manufactured you, when he put you together, he made you so that people would need to be included. That your life would not work, it would not function without people in it. This is not a personality thing. This isn't like an Enneagram thing. I don't care what your Myers-Briggs is. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. You were made to be with people. God has crafted us, designed us to be communal. We is what we need. And we see this uh, in the creation narrative in uh, Genesis chapter 126. God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Now, this is going to get theological for a second. Y'all cool with that? Y'all cool with a little theology up in church today? So um, we don't serve a God who is a polytheistic God. We don't, Christianity is not a polytheistic religion. We don't worship many gods. And we even are a slight variation from a monotheistic religion where there's just one God. We're what's called a Trinitarian religion, where we worship one God who eternally exists as three separate persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. But all three are fully in one deity. There's no analogy that can explain it. There's nothing that can quite contain it. Does anyone's head hurt yet? The writer and theologian Augustine is saying about the Trinity, he said, the Trinity, if you try to understand it, you'll lose your mind. But if you try to deny it, you'll lose your soul. You see, the Trinity is so unbelievably important because it tells us how God relates. And it informs us that God is communal, that from the very beginning, think about this. I think that this is so cool. A lot of people, when they think about God, like, why did God create us? Like, if he was so great, why did he even need us? God, God created us because he was lonely. Did he need some friends to hang out with? Could, could he not find a friend? No, he had plenty of friends. In himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have existed in this perfect friendship for all of eternity's past. God's never been lonely. He's had plenty of friends, okay? And so he's been in this perfect relationship where the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit serves the Son, and the Father glorifies the Spirit. It's just this beautiful picture. Like if you read throughout the Bible, they're always bragging on each other, always honoring each other, always pointing us to the, the next member of the Trinity. They've lived in perfect harmony, perfect unity, perfect friendship forever and God goes I want like this is so good someone else has to experience this you ever had that experience before we're like this is so good try it right like we're just we're built that way because that's how God is he's like this is so good I want people to experience it and so when he puts us together he puts us together as creatures who were created for connection we were designed to not be distant but to be connected now I, I know some people in the room you're thinking no no, no not me like this pandemic has been heaven on earth. I don't have to see people. I don't have to get out of my pajamas. I can watch Netflix all day long. Praise God, right? Some people are like, you don't know me. Like, listen, I'm a maverick. I'm an introvert. I'm just built different, okay? And the problem with that is that I know the one who built you, and he says that you're not. 
He says that you need people, desperately need people, and you're not going to be who you were created to be without them. Do you guys remember those uh, Snicker commercials, You're Not You When You're Hungry? Y'all remember those? Where like there would be this person and it's like they're hungry and they'd be like Godzilla or like the Hulk or Betty White when they were hungry. And then you get a Snickers and they were like transform and all of a sudden change. I'm here to tell you today that you're not you without people. You're not the best version of yourself. You're not as strong as you could be. You're not as informed. You're not as well-rounded. You're not as balanced. You're not as healthy without people. You're not you without people. It is not good for man to be alone. And every married man said amen. I'm here, like, I'm a different man. I'm a different person. Something, some weird, primitive college side of me comes out when Kayla goes out of town for two days. Any other men experience this? Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm in college. Like, I don't know how to cook or clean or do dishes. I'm wearing the same clothes for three days in a row. I'm sitting here on the couch, not moving, just watching Sports Center. It's burned into the screen. I wake up three days later with crumbs all over my chest. Like, what happened? Right? I'm not me when I'm by myself. Um, I'm manly enough to admit this. I don't know if any other guys do this, but, like, I kind of get scared when I'm home alone. Any other fellas, man, enough to commit to, to, to admit this? Like, here's the truth, okay? Like, when I'm with Kayla and she's there, I'm never scared, okay? And it's not like she's going to do anything. She's five foot two, okay? Um, it's not like Kayla is secretly crouch, you know, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, Zeno, girl, warrior, princess. That's not my wife. She's afraid of her own shadow. And so I'm, I'm the one who's going to do something if something goes down. But, man, she leaves. I'm afraid. Find your boy in a closet under a blanket, Raleigh's teddy bear in hand, because I'm not me when I'm alone. And this isn't like a marriage analogy. This is a community analogy. You and I were created to be with people. We need this more than we could know or understand how essential it is for us to be in relationships. This is the reason that solitary confinement is the worst punishment. You ever think about that? What is the worst thing that we could do to an individual that has committed a crime? Do we torture them? Do we, we put them by themselves in a cell, seven by 10, concrete cell for 23 hours of the day, all by themselves. They eat alone. They sleep alone. They talk alone. They do everything alone. And every young mom is like, if you add pee alone, I'll take you up on the offer. This, this, is, this is so not good for people to be alone. It is woven into how we were designed. Now, there's a big difference between being alone and feeling like you're all alone. There's a big difference between loneliness and oneliness. There is a way for you to be alone and for it to be punishment, but there's also a way for you to be in solitude and for it to be sacred. Solitude can oftentimes be extremely sacred. You know, Jesus, he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. You see it all throughout the scriptures. He withdraws, but he withdraws to be with. 
You see, a lot of us, what we do is we withdraw to be by ourselves. We just need some me time, some chill time, some relaxed time. Jesus, whenever he withdraws, he never withdraws to be by himself. He withdraws to be with, with his father, in his presence, full of his spirit. Because he knows that when he's with, he gets filled up. That that's where the power comes from. So solitude is a good thing, but it's not a selfish thing. We don't withdraw just for me time. We, 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 we withdraw for Jesus time. To be with him. That's the, that's the reason we, we withdraw. Um, we live in a me-centered culture. We live in a self-centered culture. Everything's about self-love and self-help and self-care. And the problem with that is that Jesus came to show us that the best way of life is a version of life where we die to self, where we empty self, and where we love our neighbors as ourself. That's the way that life is supposed to work. When the focus and the priority is not on, on, on yourself, but it's on people. It's on how much they matter. It's on ascribing value to them. And it's giving your life so that they can experience the nearness of God. We've got to get better at loving people. You know, I'm not saying that there's never going to be times in our life where being alone isn't a good thing. That's not what I'm trying to say. I actually think that a, a deeply spiritual practice is understanding solitude and practicing solitude and setting aside time for solitude. But I think a great lesson for what you do when you are alone can be learned from Jacob. Y'all remember Jacob from the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, we see the story of Jacob unfold. And it says, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now that's a word, y'all. If you are left alone, it is time for you to wrestle with God. When you're left alone, you need to start wrestling with God, doing business with God, seeking the face of God, asking God tough questions, seeing what God wants to do in your life, seeing how he wants to change you and grow you and morph you. Like that's what you need. You need to start to wrestle. You see, we find ourselves alone and what do we do? We watch. We watch Netflix. We watch Hulu. We watch YouTube. We need to stop watching and we need to start wrestling. This is what we were created for, to always be with, to never be alone. This is God's original design. But you know that you can also, you don't have to be alone to feel lonely. Loneliness knows no limits. Loneliness doesn't care your age, your stage, your phase of life. It doesn't care your race, your gender, or your economic status. There are lonely refugees and there are lonely businessmen. There are lonely young moms. There are lonely soldiers. There are lonely people in crowded rooms. A kid in a classroom who feels completely misunderstood is alone. There is a woman trapped in a lifeless marriage who feels alone. There is an influencer on Instagram who has a million followers but zero friends and feels all alone. Loneliness comes for all of us in ways that we're not even ready for at times. And it's interesting about loneliness that sometimes you don't even realize that you're lonely until you're so lonely that it's too late. Because loneliness is actually really addictive. Because when you're lonely, what it does is it shrinks your mind. It causes you to think that the way that you see the world is the way that everyone else sees the world. It causes you to stop having grace for other people. Have you ever noticed that lonely people are usually some of the most angry people, most cynical people, most selfish people, most prideful people? And then in every relationship that they're in, really lonely people are just unbelievably codependent. 
dependent upon others to provide for them and to serve them and to be for them. You see, loneliness, it has all of these effects that we don't see before it's too late. You know, identifying the symptoms of something can be really important, right? Like y'all remember way back when COVID started and it was like, okay, what are the symptoms? And the problem with the symptoms of COVID is everything was the symptom of COVID. It was like, are you breathing COVID? I, I wanna give you today some symptoms of um, being able to diagnose whether or not you have uh, like a loneliness problem. And uh, one of my favorite theologians is Jeff Foxworthy. And so I wanna give you some Jeff Foxworthy jokes about whether or not you might be lonely. Y'all wanna hear them? Here we go. You might be lonely if you fill up your target cart and then empty it 10 times a day. You might be lonely if you think the cashier at Walgreens was flirting with you because her name was at the top of the receipt next to the store's number. You might be lonely if you've named your pillow Wilson. You might be lonely if you take six showers a day. Nobody's that dirty. You might be lonely if your response to gaining weight is more of myself to love. And finally, if you send text messages back to political marketing ads, you might be really lonely. I may have done the last one, just to be honest. I think that there are signs of loneliness that we are not always seeing. I think that we are more lonely at times than we even seem. I think that we try to hide it, we try to deny it, we try to say that we don't need it, but you do. I have uh, been doing some research on loneliness this week in preparation for this message and uh, read some excerpts of this book from um, Dr. Faye Bound Alberti. And she wrote a book called A Biography of Loneliness the history of an emotion. And in that book, she outlines some really interesting details about loneliness. She says that loneliness as an emotion is actually relatively new. It was first written about in literature in high volumes in the 1800s. Before that, it doesn't really show up. It's more about oneliness. It's not loneliness where you're upset by being by yourself, but oneliness, this understanding that there's only one person here, but that's not even necessarily a bad thing. So that would have been the historical understanding of being alone is it's oneliness, not even loneliness. And we don't even use that word anymore because in the 1800s, this loneliness kind of came out of the scene and it was more about what I don't have than what I do have. She goes on to write, she says that loneliness wasn't even seen as a negative term initially in the 1800s. She says it was a positive thing because people rarely were alone due to family structures. So solitude was important to have holy communion with God. So uh, historically, we have multi-generational families who all live together under one roof or in a homestead or together. And so you, you got moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and even friends at time who didn't have a place. They would live with you. That's how it would happen in history. But now as our families have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, and we've had more of a focus on the nuclear family, that model has eroded. But there was a time where you, you wouldn't even know what it's like to be alone. Like your own room, that wasn't a thing, okay? Like my dad's like, you have your own room? Like, I didn't even have my own underwear, okay? Like, I had to share my underwear. Like, own, that is a brand new idea. And, and she goes on to write, she continues, she says, in the 1960s, um, the family transitioned and I hyper-focused on the nuclear family, and there was a significant increase in loneliness, especially for elderly people. Today in our society where we value a person based on his or her productivity, those who don't produce are just seen as a burden. That's why old elderly people oftentimes just get passed off, not cared for, and forgotten about. 
Individualism and secularism has caused loneliness to become widespread and prevalent. What does she mean by that? This is what I found most interesting in her writings. She said, according to Alberti, the decline in religion has been one of the greatest contributors to loneliness. Think about this. In the past, one is never alone because one always had the presence of God. The decline of religion and the absence of God in our lives contributes to this gnawing feeling that we are alone in the universe. So moving into an age where people deny God and they don't worship God, they don't practice the presence of God, uh, they don't prioritize in gathering together with the people of God, they're not thinking about God. God is not on their radar, not in their hearts, not in their lives, not in their minds. So then when they're by themselves, they begin to think nobody understands me and nobody gets me, nobody really cares for me. And is there anything or anybody out there in the universe? Am I just all alone? And then you add to all of our pressure with dating and, and, and needing to find your soulmate, the mythical unicorn, and who's the one that's going to complete me and that's going to make me feel like I matter and that I'm enough and I can't find them. And then God's not real, and so I'm just all alone. All alone. And so then what happens? Technology bursts onto the scene to try to be a solution to this problem that we're experiencing. Did you know that loneliness in terms of how many people feel it and how intensely people feel it has doubled since the 80s? Since the 80s, it's doubled. We're twice as lonely today as we were 40 years ago. And so te technology is, is, is trying to be a solution to that problem, but technology inevitably ends up contributing to that problem. And so we've got things like Zoom, right? How many of you guys have been on Zoom in 2020? Raise your hand if you've been on Zoom. Yep, yep. Raise your hand if you'd heard of Zoom in 2019. A lot less hands. But technology is bursting on the scene to try to be like, I can help you. I can help you connect. I can help you know, right? Every social media outlet tries to tell us that they can be the solution to our connection problems, that we can have digital friends in a digital space and be digitally known, right? I mean, if you even think just about the way that like our like parenting works, like it used to take a village to raise your kids. Now it takes an iPad to raise your kids. That was a very funny joke, guys. I used to be an iPad hater. Maybe we got some iPad parent haters in the room. If that's you, I know you probably don't have kids, okay? So that's the way that I was before I had kids. I was like, I saw a parent with like an iPad out at like lunch and they would have their kid watching the iPad and I would just be judging that parent. I'd be like, oh my gosh, how dare you? You're neglecting your kid. But now that I have a kid, I realized that they weren't neglecting. That parent was surviving, okay? That's what that parent was doing. Mama gotta eat, you know what I'm saying? So I'm all for technology. I think that technology is a good thing and I'm not saying that social media is a bad thing. But I do believe that it's contributing to the loneliness because we all know that all that's on there is curated fake content. We know that nobody's life is as lavish or as luxurious or as perfect as it appears on Instagram. And so then what we begin to feel because people only show highlights and they never show lowlights is that if my life doesn't always look like that, then I'm all alone and I'm living like nobody else is living just down in the dumps and I'm eating my Cheerios and everybody else is out there just taking pictures of their fancy sandwich and I'm just here eating Cheerios and I'm all by myself. We're going, man, if I don't get to take a trip to Cabo and if my kid can't say the alphabet backwards in French, then I'm all alone. Like, am I the only person who has a kid that can only speak one language? I'm all alone. 
Did I not get a new car? I'm all alone, right? I didn't get invited to that party. I didn't get invited on that vacation. I didn't get to go on that lake trip. I'm all alone. It just contributes to this feeling that we're all alone, but we just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, hoping that it's going to solve the problem, but it doesn't. It can't because you were created for so much more than superficial conversation. You were created for so much more than just showing highlights. You were created to, to, to be in a community with people who, who saw it all, who saw the highs and the lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, and who walked with you in it. This is what you were created for. This is what we were made for. So crazy how the world is evolving right now and how fast it's evolving, how fast it's changing. To, to, to think about the world that we lived in just five years ago and to think about where we are now in terms of how we think about priorities and what's important and how we connect with one another and the things that we value and the way that we talk and how tense things are. And we've gone through a pandemic and just our world is evolving so much so fast. And one of the things that happened to me a lot this last year as a pastor in 2020 is a lot of people went, hey, bro, is it the end of the world? I know you've read the book. I haven't made it quite that far to Revelation. What does it say happens in the end? How does the whole thing go down? Is this the end of the world as we know it? And um, anytime somebody asks me about the end of the world, I don't typically think about Revelation. I actually think about the, the book of Hebrews. Because in the book of Hebrews, it tells us what to do if we feel like it's the end of the world as we know it. And this is what it says. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And here you go. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the Bible is saying is that in times of difficulty, it should drive us together. That we should lean on each other. We need each other. And when the world seems to be caving in all around us, that we need to go and to lean on each other. We need to fight for community. We need to stir each other up to love and good works. We need to encourage one another. If it feels like the world's falling apart, I need to be an advocate in your ear. I need to be speaking truth in your life. I need to be on your side and in your corner and praying for you and serving you and spending time together. When things seem out of control, we don't need to go into hibernation or into hiding or into underground tunnels or into fallout shelters. We need to be with people. That's what we need. I think often about what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. And Jesus gathers together the 21st century American Christians and he reads Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And he goes, okay, okay, I, just, I want to talk to you guys about something like just... Do not forsake, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then he just stops and he listens. He just holds up his hands. Don't neglect meeting together. Don't forsake the gathering together of believers. Don't fight for it. Prioritize it. Do it. Make it a habit. The people who get out of the habit, you need to pull them back into the habit. This is so important. This is a rhythm that you've got to fight for. This is a priority you need to hold up. Even when it's hard, even when you get busy, even when it things, seems like things are falling apart, the gathering together of believers is so important. And then he's just going to go, so, so what? And I just think about what we're going to say. But God, Jimmy had soccer practice. But, but COVID, but my job, but I was really busy. And I think that what we're going to see is that so much of the stress and the pain that we experience is because we didn't 
fight for the solution that God has given us, which is each other. When we go into these little isolations, when we go into these little hibernations and we, we don't prioritize things like this, like church and like gathering together in a group or a small group or having a mentor, having a tribe or a community who you're really doing life with, it creates so much fear and so much anxiety and so much worry and it's so not what you were created for. I just think about Jesus. You know, Jesus, a lawyer comes up to him and he asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? If you could sum up all of the law and all of the prophets, take the 613 Jewish commands that God gave us in the Old Testament and boil it down to one, what would it be? And I love Jesus because he doesn't follow the rules. He gives them two. Love that about Jesus. And he says, the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And every time that I, I read the, that verse, I, 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 I study that passage of scripture, I can't help but think that Jesus is a little bit crazy. Because he says, love God and then love your neighbor. And I'm like, those things are very different, God. Very, very different. But what if the way that we love God is by loving our neighbor? What if what makes the second commandment so important is because it's impossible to fulfill the first one without it? What if God so loved his son that he gave him for the world so we should so love the world that we give them our lives? Life is meant to be about loving people. It's not meant to be about acquiring for yourself things. It's not meant to be about building an empire. It's meant to be about building into others. This is the lifestyle of the Jesus follower. This is the way of the Christian. We want to go on a mission to make sure that no one else has to do life alone. When you get to the end of your life, I don't know if you think about dying a lot. I do. You probably should. It's biblical. Might sound morbid to you, but I promise you it's in the Bible. The Bible says, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. And it's this idea that if you think about the end of your life, then you'll live your life for things that actually matter. And so oftentimes I think about dying. And when I think about dying, I don't think about what I did or didn't do. I think about who I spent my life with. People are all that's gonna matter in the end. Don't you see that everything else is passing away, but what you put in people remains forever. That's the greatest legacy that you can lead. That is the greatest life that you can live. That is the greatest impact that you can have. Watch you sow into people. And so we're starting this series, End the Epidemic, because our heartbeat is that no one else has to live life lonely. Like I'm talking about stand up to cancer, in it to end it, to shut down the pandemic, whatever we got to do, we want to end the epidemic of loneliness. I'm looking for some people who believe that Jesus was serious when he said, I want for you to fight for relationship. That in our fast paced culture of isolation and division, that people are so worth fighting for. I'm looking for some people who are tired of living isolated, lonely, disconnected life and who want to make the lost, the searching, and the lonely feel like loved is their middle name. I want us to be a church where every person knows that they have a place, regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background, regardless of sin, regardless of it all, that they can belong before they believe that we love them enough to let them ask questions and to struggle and to try to figure it out. That we're the kind of people who are going to fight for people. We're going to chase after every single one until there is no one left. The great beauty of this is that we're always going to have work to do. We're going to get to wake up every single day and go, hey, can I just make it so that there's one less person who feels lonely today? 
Can I make it so that there's one less lonely person in the world? This is the call of the Christian. This is what Jesus has asked us to do. One of my favorite scriptures is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, it says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves. Can we be the kind of people who don't just tell people things about Jesus, who don't just point people towards Jesus, who don't just give theology about Jesus or tell the Jesus story, but who love people like Jesus, who share ourselves with others the way that Jesus has so graciously shared himself with us. He's shared himself with us, broken himself apart, blood shed on a cross, given us everything that he has, every ounce of sweat, every tear, every blood, every step. He did it to share his life with us. This is why we call um, remembering his sacrifice communion. You ever wonder why that's communion? Because what we're celebrating is that God came to commune with us, to share his life with us, and that it is personified in what he did on the cross when he gave everything. And this is the kind of people that we're called to be, to give everything for people to know Jesus, experience his love. Without you, somebody could live without God. The way that you love people may be the closest to them feeling God's love that they will ever feel. I know that there's some people in today who are here today who are just really wrestling because this is real for you. It's like, isn't a joke for you. This isn't a game for you. This isn't like cute for you. Like you are lonely, like next level lonely. You've been struggling. It is hard. It is difficult. And for maybe so many different situations, maybe you were abandoned by a husband. Maybe you were left by a mom. Maybe somebody walked out on you. Maybe a friend betrayed you, but you just feel so alone. And I've got some good news for you today that God has not left you alone in your loneliness. Psalm 68 verse 6 says this, that God sets the lonely in families. The reason that we are here is to give people a place where they can experience what it means to be in the family of God. God has not left you in your loneliness. You know, one of the things that I love so much about Jesus is that he identifies with us in all of our human experience. You know that Jesus is the loneliest face of them all. No one has been more lonely than Jesus. Think about it. He's God, God in the flesh, leaving heaven, coming to earth. He's holy. He's perfect. In a world full of sinners, in a world full of people who don't follow God, who don't love God, he is the one who obeys the commands of God. The scripture says it like this, the light has come into the world, but the world loved darkness. How alone must Jesus have felt? living in obscurity, living a life where no one else understands what it's like to be God. No one else understands what it's like to know the future. No one understands what it's like to have to carry and bear the sins of the world. So alone, he's teaching people things that they want nothing to do with, trying to open their eyes to see what life is all about. And, and they're harassing him and asking him questions and trying to twist his words and and then they'd plot to kill him. And in his time of need where he would want his best friends to be there, they abandon him. They're nowhere to be found. He, he gets put on trial. And the crowd gets an option who used to love him if they want to release him or Barabbas. And the crowd shouts, Barabbas. 
give us Barabbas. We want nothing to do with Jesus. He's all alone. And then he is hung on a cross, naked between two criminals, people who are nothing like him. They are guilty. He is innocent, all alone, all alone. But the worst part of all, the loneliness that he experiences, we see in Matthew 27, verse 46, says about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who's God and who his whole existence, he's always existed and all that he's known is what it means to be in perfect relationship with his father and with the spirit. They have talked and they have walked, they have laughed, they have cried, they've plotted and planned to save the world. He's always withdrawn to lonely places to be with God. He's never not been able to hear God's voice, but he's on the cross and he's going, dad, where are you? Have you left me here to die by myself all alone? Jesus was forsaken by his father so that you and I would never have to be forsaken again. Jesus went to the loneliest place so that for the rest of our life, we can know the gift that we've got a God who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, and who is with us always to the very end of the age. He went all the way into the grave by himself, experienced the loneliness of death to rise with this promise that we could be people who never had to be lonely again. And we are carriers of this news. We are the bringers of this message that there is a God who always wants to be with you in your pain, with you in your lo loneliness, who understands it, who gets it, who's tasted it, who's experienced it, and who says he won't leave you because of it. Jesus never wants you to experience loneliness. Jesus always wants to be with you. I hope that we can become the kind of people who see how hard God has fought for us and that we could begin to fight that hard for people. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm grateful for your word and I'm grateful that your promises are true and I'm grateful that your presence is near. And God, I just pray right now for the people who feel so alone in the room for the people who want to be married but aren't married, for the people who want to have kids but can't have kids, for the people who feel misunderstood and disconnected and like no one's interested in them and they're just going through life trying to make ends meet, but they just feel all alone. I just pray that your presence and your spirit would invade this place right now and that you would let them know that your promise is sure, that you are with them, that you've not forgotten them, that you've not given up on them. And God, I pray for the person right now who maybe doesn't know you. I know that there's people in the room who maybe this is brand new news for you. People watching online and this is brand new news for you. You didn't know that you could have a relationship with a God who would always be with you in the highs and the lows and the mountains and the valleys and the depression and the searching and the anxiety and in the questions he would be with you. Not just in the good times, not just in the bad times, but in every time. And if you want that today, if you wanna receive that today, to experience that today, I'm just gonna ask you to do this, to take a step of faith step of obedience. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And the way that he seals that promise is he gives you the gift of his spirit. 
his spirit comes to live inside you. And if you want that, then I'm just gonna ask you to confess with your mouth. Just say, Jesus, I want you. I'm tired of doing life alone. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin that separated me from you. And I ask for your spirit to always be with me. I believe you're God. I believe you rose from the dead. And I wanna live my life now to make the world feel less lonely. If you prayed that prayer, then it is the most important relational step you'll ever take in your whole life. And uh, we wanna celebrate that. And so if you watching online or in the room pray that prayer today, on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand as a statement of surrender. And we wanna celebrate with you that you started a relationship today with the God of the universe. So if you prayed that prayer on the count of three, raise your hand, one, two, three. Come on, let's celebrate believing together that people in this room and people online are starting a relationship with Jesus today. God, we love you. We invite you into this place. We say we need you more now more than ever, and we want to be people who awaken this world to your love. God, we want to live lives that are built on your love, that are for people, and that show people who you're really like. And we ask this in your beautiful name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.